0: Welcome to the Jesus Freedom Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Roundtree. In today's episode, I will continue the story of Jesus on the cross and how he crushed the head of the devil and will explore the last words that were spoken on the cross. Thank you for listening. In the beginning, God created the lush paradise Garden of Eden. There was an abundance of gorgeous and beautiful trees filled with all kinds of delicious fruit to eat. God created trees just to look at and take in their beauty. In the ancient world, gardens were a symbol of the divine presence where heaven touched earth. King Solomon created a beautiful garden filled with all kinds of fruit trees. In the Song of Solomon, it starts off with a description about itself, which is a song saying that it is the most wonderful of all the songs. It is a song about Solomon's garden and his beloved. But a rebellious creature lurked in the shadows. Seeking to stir up evil, he entered the Garden of Eden, seeking to trap the man and the woman created in the image of God. After the humans fell into his trap, the father in Genesis 3 tells them the consequences and the curse as a result of their disobedience. He tells the crafty serpent that there will be hostility between his offspring and the woman's offspring. But a time would come when the woman's offspring would crush the head or the skull of the serpent, but the serpent would, be, would bruise his heel This strange, prophetic, and poetic saying was a subtle hint that a time would come when a man would crush the head of the serpent, which represents the powers of darkness, but he would be wounded in the battle. Psalm 68, 21 declares God will smash the heads of his enemies, crushing the skulls of those who love their wicked ways. Psalm 74 declares, You, O God, are king and smash the heads of the sea monster, Jesus was crucified on Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. On the cross, Jesus, through his suffering, crushed the head of the serpent and smashed the skulls of the monsters. The human skull is also a symbol of death. It's common to see it this time of year around Halloween. But Jesus, through his death, broke the power of death once and for all. The Jewish religious authorities mocked and ridiculed him. They thought they had won the victory. That old crafty serpent, the devil probably cackled with the most hideous laugh, Jesus is dead, but like a lightning bolt from heaven that strikes the earth, the power of God would shake the heavens and the earth. Jesus would terrify his enemies. They didn't see what was coming. They were not expecting a resurrection. No one was. Jesus told his own disciples they didn't understand. Paul told the Corinthians that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. Through the foolishness of the cross, Jesus confounded his enemies and crushed them. The cross is the greatest victory and triumph in all. All of human history, we still talk about it 2,000 years later. People are saved by its power. Others continue to mock. Many are indifferent. But all who are touched by the power of the cross are changed. Darkness changes to light. Chains fall off. You feel the cool breezes of the Holy Spirit in and all around you. It's a new day. God has done a new thing. The cross of Christ is about Jesus' victory. And by faith, our hearts can be touched by his victory. Now let us go back to the story of the cross. On the cross, Jesus made his last seven statements before his death. In the last episode, I talked about the first two, which were, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then he told the revolutionary who asked him to remember him, I assure you today I will be with you in paradise. After this, the people continued to pass by, and when they saw him, they would shake their heads and shout abuse at him. Look at you now. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, if you're the Son of God, save yourself. Come down from the cross. Jesus, just a few days before, went into the temple and turned over the tables, really annoying and ticking off the religious authorities. Jesus had a knack for making the religious elites mad. They challenged him and asked him to prove his authority by showing them a sign. He responded by saying, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Of course, this sounded ridiculous to them. It had taken 46 years to build that temple. But Jesus wasn't talking about that temple. He was talking about his own body as the temple. The new temple that would host the abiding and manifest presence and the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 9 declares that Christ didn't enter the holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy or a symbol of the true one in heaven. He entered into the temple in heaven and appeared before the Father in our defense. He offered himself And his own blood up once and for all to take away the sins of many people on the cross the body or the temple of Jesus was destroyed but three days were coming when a new temple would rise from the ashes providing a new and a living way and now you and I can enter into that temple not made with human hands but made with divine hands we enter into the most holy place with confidence and boldness because of the blood of Jesus. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, his aunt, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, which was John, Jesus made his third statement. Jesus made his third statement on the cross. He says, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And then from then on, this disciple took her into his home. In the ancient world, when a husband passed away, it was normal for the eldest son to provide for his mother and the family. Jesus was the eldest and had fulfilled this role while alive after his adopted father, Joseph, had passed away. Now that he was about to die, the responsibility would normally go to the next eldest son or his brothers. But the question is, why didn't Jesus pass it on to them? Or why did he Why did he give his mother to John? Back in John chapter 7, Jesus' brothers had actually challenged him. Jesus was staying out of Judea because the Jewish leaders were trying to kill him. His brothers told him to go up to Judea and do miracles. They said, if you're trying to become famous, why... Why are you hiding in Galilee? If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. And the gospel says that even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him, or at least they haven't yet. Later on, they would come around and follow him after the resurrection. In another example, when Jesus was speaking to a crowd, his mother and his brothers were outside, and someone told Jesus that they wanted to speak with him. He responds by asking a question, the usual Jesus style, answering a question with a question. Uh, When I do this to my wife, she gets really annoyed and I just, you know, try to say, I'm just being like Jesus. Um, She doesn't think it's that funny, though. Jesus says this, though. He says, who is my mother and brother? And he points to his disciples and says, look, these are my mother's. And my brothers, anyone who does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus redefined family. This certainly doesn't mean our blood family isn't important. Jesus isn't saying that at all. But sometimes our family members do not want to follow Jesus or they don't understand why we do. Some people follow Jesus at a great risk in certain places of the world. In extreme circumstances, family members will try to kill those who follow him. Many are rejected or disowned. Others become outcasts and others are perceived as really being weird. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, they must hate their own mother, brother, father, or sister. Jesus doesn't mean this in the most literal sense. He is saying that you must love him more than your own family. And if you do, you're now a part of his family. Jesus is the everlasting father. And it says that Jesus came to his own people, but they rejected him. But to all who believe and accept him, he gave them right to become children of God. They are reborn, not a physical birth from human passion, but a birth that comes from God. Now, after Jesus told the Apostle John, here is your mother. The Scriptures say at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until about three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone out. In Genesis 1, it says the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. But the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the deep waters, and God spoke, let there be light. John the Baptist declared this about Jesus. He said, He is the one true light who gives light to everyone, but the people love darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to come near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. The Apostle John again says in his epistle, 1 John chapter 1, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we will have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins just like in the beginning when darkness covered the earth as Jesus hung on the cross on the verge of death darkness fell upon the land But God spoke, let there be light. The light of the resurrection was just three days away, and the world would never be the same. This resurrected man, Jesus, would be a new work of God's creation. As darkness fell across the land, then Jesus would utter his fourth statement that would express the depths of his suffering. Jesus called out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This is the first time Jesus doesn't say, Father, but he says, My God. Only hours earlier, he had told his disciples, The Father and I are one. Now, not only is Jesus' body broken, but his heart and his being is crushed. He will soon make three more statements and die. In Isaiah 53, the prophet foretells of the Messiah's suffering and says it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied, and because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. In the Old Testament story, after Yahweh delivered Israel from the powers of Egypt, and they came to the foot of Mount Sinai, where they would receive the Ten Commandments and see and witness the power of God on the mountain, Yahweh would ask them to enter into a covenant. This covenant would have blessings and curses. If they obeyed the terms of the covenant, they would experience blessings. If they disobeyed and forgot Yahweh, who rescued them from slavery, he would bring punishment on them. The terms of the covenant are spelled out like a contract. If you do your part, I'll do my part. If you don't, like a good father, he will discipline you. But Israel did much more than just sin a few times. They abandoned the covenant altogether So as spelled out in that covenant or the agreement, he punished them after centuries of persistent apostasy, corruption, and injustice. He sent the prophets to warn them, to call them back to the agreement and foretold of the consequences of their rebellion. And Yahweh was true to his word. Babylon surrounded and captured Jerusalem. While they were in exile and even after exile, many of the Israelites complained about God believing and saying that Yahweh had forgotten or abandoned them because of the fall of Jerusalem and becoming slaves to the Babylonians. But the prophets also foretold of their deliverance from exile through King Cyrus, and they would go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. Many of the Israelites questioned and lost faith in Yahweh, even though the prophets clearly explained why all these things happened. In Isaiah 49, the people of Jerusalem accuse God of deserting and abandoning them. God's response is that he could never forget his beloved. Can a mother forget her child? It's rare to see a mother abandon her children. Women will and have endured extreme abuse just to stay near their children. We are more surprised to hear stories of mothers abandoning their children than men running off. But even if a mother does forget her child and abandoning her child the lord will not forget you your name is written on the palm of his hands after jesus was resurrected thomas touched his nailed scarred hands our names are written and your name is written with the nails that pierced his hand God the Father can't forget you. He created you, and He delights in you. He chose suffering to bring you back and to restore you. Our suffering many times can cause us to question God, and like Jesus on the cross, we might feel abandoned. But as Psalm 16 declares, the Father didn't abandon Him to the grave, nor let Him rot among the dead. And therefore, He will for not, He will not forget or abandon you. When Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was directly referencing Psalms 22. This was a psalm written by David. I'm not going to read the whole psalm today, but I encourage you to go look at it. It prophetically describes what Jesus was going through on the cross. And in verse 24, it does say this. The Lord has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. Then the psalm turns into a praise song, saying their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. Here are my closing thoughts. We can rejoice in the victory that Christ made by crushing the head of the serpent and the powers of darkness. He is the true light and liberator of those who are in darkness. Jesus came to start a new family, to have adopted sons and daughters, to fellowship with him in the light. We can be encouraged that no matter what we are suffering, he suffered too and he will not forget us and he will hear our cries for help. Thank you for listening to the Jesus Freedom Podcast. I think I have about one more episode left to finish this series on the suffering love of Jesus, where I will address the last three statements that Jesus made on the cross. I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at the Jesus Freedom Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, thank you for listening and have a great day.